Well, recently, an American anthropologist did a study in, with African children where he went uh, into a classroom and he lined up all of the students on one side of the room and he put a huge bowl of fruit, overflowing with fruit, um, bowl on the other side of the classroom. And he said to the children in Africa, he said, um, I'm going to count down, three, two, one, go. And the first kid to race across the room and get to that bowl of fruit gets that bowl of fruit. If you have kids or you are around kids, can you imagine what would happen if we did this in America? It's a sprint, right? It's a race. Uh, so this anthropologist was surprised when he said, three, two, one, go. And these African children grabbed hands all together and walked to the bowl of fruit. And he was just dumbfounded. And he said to the class, why, why did you not race to get there? The first one there gets the whole bowl of fruit. And one of the kids spoke up and answered, how can one of us be happy if the rest of us are sad? Today we're wrapping up this series called Waging Peace. And what we've been talking about all month long is what does it mean to join God in his mission of reestablishing shalom? We started the series by saying that God is shalom. In God, things are the way they are supposed to be. We had the kids up here and when we talked about the word shalom, we say we most often translate that as the word peace. But really, shalom is the way things ought to be as designed by God. God is shalom. In God, things are the way they're supposed to be. And God is on mission to reestablish shalom wherever it has been broken. And Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus taught us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. So you and I, when, when you become a follower of God in the way of Jesus, you are not restored to just sit around and enjoy your own restorativeness. You are restored to work for restoration with God. And the more and more we live our lives in him, the more we naturally are experiencing his shalom in our lives, the more we're experiencing healing from our own brokenness, our own pain, and we naturally move on into mission with him. So we've been talking in this series about the four fourfold path to waging peace, the fourfold path to becoming an everyday peacemaker, which is this, see with our eyes, see as God sees, immerse ourselves in the stories of brokenness around us, contend for the flourishing of others, and then restore. We are on mission with God to restore shalom. Um, this was not my plan to talk about, but I shared it in the first service, so I'm going to share it with you all too. This week, I just had this experience of uh, Jesus leading me into a place of healing, 
and uh, shalom in my own life. And it, it happened because my spiritual director had said to me, um, you know, just asking me about my spiritual practices, and I had said, you know, I'm spending some time early in the morning, and I said, just being quiet and letting the Lord love me. And he said, do you ever journal? And I said, yeah, I used to journal all the time, but lately not so much. And he said, well, continue to do that, sit quietly, and allow the Lord to just love you. But then pull out your journal and just ask yourself, what are you feeling? Where are you feeling it in your body? And uh, so I did this, and I was very surprised (laughs) because uh, this is not an easy assignment for someone like me who is very, um, you know, I like to-do lists, and I like tasks, and I like building things, and I like entrepreneurship. So how are you feeling, and where are you feeling it in your body? Not really my jam, but I did it, uh, and I was surprised because I felt sad. So I just got curious about that and started asking myself questions. Why are you sad? And I wrote down then, I'm sad, and this surprised me, I am sad that I had a C-section seven years ago. And I wrote, you know, why are you sad about that? Because it felt like a failure. Felt like it didn't go as I planned. And then I got curious, what would Jesus want to say to me about that sadness, about that story that I've been carrying around in my body and not even really knowing? And you guys, I just had this sense of God's spirit, like, saying, Susie Russell is here, and you are here, and I am here, and that is enough. And I went from sad and kind of upset about realizing I had this feeling in my body to this sense of God's peace. I had this sense of calm and peace. I stopped crying about it, and I sense that those were God's words to me about that sadness. Russell is here. You are here. I am here, and that is enough. Everyday peacemaking and shalom, I believe it starts with the fact that God is shalom. Things are the way they are supposed to be in God. So when we gather in worship, it's not to be entertained. It's not to hear a maybe mediocre, maybe good talk. When we gather together in worship, we are like in a spiritual gymnasium for our souls. We are turning our, in worship, what we're doing, we're turning our attention fully and completely onto everything that is right with God and God's kingdom in the hopes that more and more moments of our everyday lives might be lived there. An awareness of God's presence. God is shalom. In God, things are the way they are supposed to be. And when we live there, and when we experience God tearing down those lies, like the C-section meant you were a failure, that's a lie. He's kicking down like we just sang about it. There's no shadow he doesn't want to light up, no lie he doesn't want to tear down in your life. God's shalom. We live in him. We experience his shalom. We naturally move out with him into our relationships to see others as God would see them 
to immerse ourselves in the brokenness of their lives, the lies they may be believing, we may be contributing to their believing, immersing, contending for the flourishing of others, and restoring. This is the path of becoming an everyday peacemaker. An everyday peacemaker is a person who is getting creative in love. And every single one of us faces an area where peace, shalom, has been ruptured, where it has been shattered. In their book, Mending the Divides, which we've been following in this series, the authors say this, chances are good that we all will find ourselves in conflict with others, that's interpersonal, embedded within locations locally where all is not as it should be, and compelled toward international brokenness. So this morning, as we wrap up this series, I would love it if each one of us just walked away with one, not ten, but just one idea around an area of conflict that you might just want to practice being an everyday peacemaker. Just like one area where you might want to practice waging peace. Where you might want to follow Jesus in this invitation to see as God sees and immerse and contend and restore. So one area. So let me just ask you, um, is there an interpersonal conflict in your life that comes to mind? That maybe God's spirit might invite you to wage peace around? Is there a local injustice that's captured your heart? Is there an international conflict? And making a plan is just about picking one, not ten, but one, and saying, God, I want to follow you in your mission of bringing shalom to the places of brokenness in this world. And it might be in any one of these. It might be an interpersonal conflict. It might be a local injustice. And then thinking with a long view. This is not something we like check off this week before next Sunday. This is something where we say, you know, what might I do or be a part of? Where might I follow God's Holy Spirit in the next 10 days, 10 weeks, 10 months? Because peacemaking takes time. Peacemaking is not an overnight thing. And here's the problem we often face. There's just so much brokenness. It's overwhelming, right? Like um, interpersonal conflict, which one? Uh, local injustice? I, I mean, there's so many, I can't even. Which one am I? International conflict? Whoo! I mean, it's so overwhelming sometimes that we don't, ever pick one. And perhaps you've heard this phrase, but I think it fits here. What if we all were to do for one what we wish we could do for everyone? What if you were to do for one what you wish you could do for everyone and start there? The heart of God's mission in this world is restoring shalom. And we all encounter conflict that rapture, 
rupture, rather, in shalom, that break in shalom, that shattering of shalom. And God invites us, through the power of his Holy Spirit, to wage peace in all areas of our lives. So let's not get paralyzed by the enormity of brokenness and problems, but let's pick one and do for one what we wish we could do for everyone. You know, one time there was a guy named Peter, and uh, he had a break in relationship with Jesus, a, a fracture in the shalom of the relationship. And I want us to look at this passage that Susan just read a moment ago. John 21 is the culmination, really, of the long story of Peter and his relationship with Jesus. Uh, Peter first begins to follow Jesus in John chapter 2. And he's first introduced to the rabbi, Jesus, by his brother, Andrew. And he spends the next few years following Jesus around, observing him, watching him, witnessing his signs and his ministry firsthand. So that's John chapter 2. Then in John 13, Jesus washes Peter's feet, showing his love and devotion to Peter. And Peter vows his commitment and devotion to Christ. But Jesus says to Peter, when things get tough, you will betray me. Not just once, but three times. And just a few hours later, that in fact does happen. Peter does deny having anything to do with this man from Nazareth. So then, in John 21, the passage that Susan just read, after Jesus has risen from the grave, he meets Peter out on the beach, and he cooks him a meal. And then he speaks directly to Peter, who has denied him three times. And he uses Peter's actual name, not his nickname, when he says this, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And three times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? It's the same number of times that Peter betrayed Jesus. And each and every time, Peter says, yes. Yes, yes, Lord, you know, I love you. And each and every time, Jesus gives Peter responsibility over his flock. He is reinstating Peter to ministry after these three betrayals. Now, an interesting thing about this exchange between Jesus and Peter is lots of scholars talk about how there are two Greek words used for love in this, past, in this section. One of those words, they're both translated love, one of them is agape, and one of them is philos. Agape, typically we think uh, it's like an all-encompassing love. We often talk about the love of God, divine love, as agape love. Philos is like friendship love. We say Philadelphia, that's where we get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's friendship love. So if you read this passage with that view in mind, the exchange might be read something like this. Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that we are friends. Jesus says, feed my lambs, and asks him again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that we are friends. 
Jesus says a third time, or says, take care of my sheep, and asks a third time, Simon, son of John, are we friends? Now, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, are we friends? Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that we are friends. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Now, maybe what's going on here is that Jesus is not necessarily questioning the quality of Peter's love like we typically think. But maybe he is meeting Peter at this level of friendship and challenging him to reinterpret what that means. Perhaps Jesus is meeting Peter at this level of friendship and asking him, challenging him to reinterpret what that might mean. Like Peter, if you're my friend, care for those whom I care for. Feed those I would feed. Be friends, not just with me, but with all of my friends. And in that way, you will love as my Father loves. Jesus is getting creative in love. Jesus was an everyday peacemaker. And really what waging peace is all about is it is you and I putting our affection for Jesus into action by showing that same sort of affection and love for people who we might otherwise not. Easy to love people you already love naturally. But waging peace is about putting our affection for Jesus into action action by loving someone who's difficult to love, someone who you might not otherwise naturally love. And this is the challenge. I want to share with you a video clip of a guy named Daryl Davis. Daryl Davis has chosen to get creative in love. And he has done a fabulous TED Talk. I'd encourage you to watch if you have not seen it already. But Daryl Davis is a black man who is a jazz musician who has befriended a leader in the KKK. And uh, he has been getting creative in love. And I want you to hear his story firsthand. This is Daryl Davis. Let's take a look. Davis is one of the few African-Americans you will ever find attending a KKK rally. More than attending, he is welcome. I got more respect for that black man than I do you white niggers out there. It's been a tough day for the Klan. Their Maryland rally found many local residents rejecting the message of white separatism. After it's over, Daryl Davis hangs around backstage with his friend, Klan wizard Roger Kelly. It's not unusual for blacks and whites to be friends, but it is unusual to find a black man and a Klan leader chatting pleasantly over an orange soda after a Klan rally. The relationship started over a book Davis was writing. His secretary set up an interview with Roger Kelly, but didn't tell him Davis was black. They talked and talked some more. Davis learning about the Klan, Kelly learning about Davis. We get to know one another and we do different things, you know. It's, it hasn't changed my views about the Klan, you know, because my views on the Klan has been pretty much cemented in my mind for years. Kelly and his Klan friends go to hear Davis and his band. 
and Davis goes to their rallies. I sat on, on, on the front row and, uh, and listened to each uh, Klansman speak. Um, some things I agreed with, other things I did not agree with. Davis thinks that his presence promotes badly needed understanding. Hate stems, I believe, from fear. From fear of the unknown. And I think this is all across the board, regardless of whether it's a Klansman or anything else. But he has no illusions about the Klan. If he did, his friend would be quick to disabuse them. I believe in separation of the races. I believe that's in the best interest of all races. Does he really? Or has friendship transcended the color barrier? Listen to Kelly at a Klan rally. I'm a follower of me in the hell I'm back, because I believe in what he stands for, and he believes in what I stand for. A lot of times we don't agree with everything, but at least he respects me to sit down and listen to me. And I respect him to sit down and listen to him. The strange relationship of a KKK wizard and his black buddy. In Washington, I'm Carl Rochelle, CNN Sunday morning. Respect is the key. Sitting down and talking, not necessarily agreeing, but respecting each other to air their points of view. Because of that respect and my willingness to listen and his willingness to listen to me, he ended up leaving the Klan and there's his robe right there. I am a musician, not a psychologist or sociologist. If I can do that, anybody in here can do that. Take the time to sit down and talk with your adversaries. You will learn something and they will learn something from you. When two enemies are talking, they're not fighting, they're talking. It's when the talking ceases that the ground becomes fertile for violence. So keep the conversation going. Thank you all very much. Powerful, right? Challenging. As we wrap up this series, Waging Peace, let me ask you this question. Just in your mind, do you agree or disagree with this statement? There is a peace that only comes on the other side of war. It's interesting because in their book, Mending the Divides, the authors grapple with this a bit. And they talk about the two ends of the spectrum. On one hand, we have just war theory. And then over here, we have pacifism, and the authors talk about waging peace or just peacemaking or um, everyday peacemaking as a third-way category all to itself. On one hand, being an everyday peacemaker is like someone in a just war theory camp. Uh, it is moving towards conflict. It is engaging in conflict. It's not avoiding, dismissing, walking away, ignoring. But it's engaging not with weapons of violence, but coming armed with weapons of peace. Now, unlike some versions of pacifism, everyday peacemakers, they are engaging they're not standing to the side. They're not ignoring, minimizing, avoiding. Being an everyday peacemaker is joining God in his mission of reestablishing shalom. It's looking in the areas of conflict for a third way. How can we get creative in love? 
recently there was a street preacher on the steps of a Christian university, and he had his Bible in hand, and he was yelling some remarkably hateful things to students as they walked by. And the, the preacher may have thought his own words were contending um, for what he thought was best, but the things he was saying ran totally counter to the teachings of Jesus. The manner in which he was saying them was uh, totally contradictory to the life of Christ. So for the students on this campus, if they are to contend, if they are to see him and immerse and contend, what does that look like? If they are to contend not by getting even, but by getting creative in love, what response should they initiate in that situation? Should they align with just war theory and kind of come after the guy, with meet his angry words with angry words, maybe physically remove him, yell hateful things back at him, maybe harm him, throw stones at him? Or aligning with some in a pacifist tradition, should they just simply remove themselves from the situation, walk away, allow the man to continue his hateful rant at the expense of others? Rather than either of those responses, these students, true story, they got creative in love. They found a third way. And here's what they did. One of the students, this guy's got his Bible, he's angry, he's shouting. And one student just went and got his guitar, put it over his shoulder, and just started playing and singing. So all alone, he is singing this song. He loves us, oh, how he loves us. Oh, how. And as he starts singing like that, all these other students come, form a circle with him, and start singing with him around this angry preacher man. And pretty soon, the sound of their voices is just, it's so loud, the guy can hardly be heard. And do you know what the guy did eventually? He just shrugged and gave up. And no stones were thrown, and no names were called, no relationships were actually severed, dignity was kept intact, dignity was restored, the abuser was exposed, and although they certainly could have, the students also did not just walk by. They didn't just cross to the other side of the street. They didn't avoid him. They didn't ignore him. They engaged the conflict in creativity. They got creative in love. And they found a third way. So the question for us is this. What does it look like for you to get creative in love. Remember, I want you to just pick one, not ten, and to ask God's Spirit, 
what would it look like to get creative in love? What would it look like to find a third way? Everyday peacemakers begin by recognizing God is a God of shalom. In God and only in God, things are the way they are supposed to be. And as we follow him, we follow him on a mission of restoring shalom wherever it is broken. How do we do it? We do it by learning to see as God sees. Choosing to immerse ourselves in places of brokenness. Contending for the flourishing of others. And recognizing we're not restored to just be restored. We are restored to work with God for restoration. So as we conclude this series and come to the table of communion, I want to just leave you with this blessing as we go. Friends, blessed are you as you discover the humanity, dignity, and image of God in others. Blessed are you as you learn to see the plight and pain of others as well as your own contribution to what is broken. Blessed are you as you step off the road of comfort and immerse into the radical center of others' pain, armed with compassion and curiosity. Blessed are you as you spend your life getting creative in love. As you live this way, you join an ancient community of everyday peacemakers who have participated with God in ushering in a restored world. Toward that end, we now go together. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that in you and only you, things are the way they are supposed to be. And we want to see as you see. Would you give us the eyes to see? Would you remove our blinders? Would you help us to follow you as you have immersed yourself by coming from heaven to earth? You have contended for the flourishing of humanity when you died on the cross, when you rose again. You have brought restoration. Would you help us know, what does it look like? What does it mean to follow you and become everyday peacemakers? It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And everybody who agreed said, amen. Amen.